So let's look at Romans 12 again as we enter into this next phase. Romans 12 says, I beseech you therefore. Now, of course, the word therefore means based on what I have already said, I'm about to say this. So what he's about to say to us in Romans 12 is based on something he's already said. So he says, I beseech you therefore, or in conclusion to, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is not only the good, the acceptable, but the absolute perfect will of God for your life. For I say, through the grace given unto me to everyone that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly, according to God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Now, is he not talking about a many-membered body called the body of Christ, which you and I are an individual member of in particular? And he says we all have grace differing according to the measure of faith or grace that God has separated us to. In other words, I hold the office that I hold in this many-membered body called the body of Christ. You hold the office you hold, and you hold the office you hold, and you hold the office and the calling you hold, and the calling you hold, and not by your own choice. But he says we have grace differing according to God's measure or his call upon our life. I didn't place myself in this office. That's why he said, you ought not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think soberly according to God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So now, somehow, my offering myself a living sacrifice, because he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. And somehow, the offering of my body a living sacrifice results in not conforming to the world, but transformation to find not only the good, not only the acceptable, but the absolute perfect will of God. And the good and the acceptable and the perfect will isn't just talking about the revelation knowledge of his word, but he's talking about the good, the acceptable, the perfect will of God for your individual life, your life as a many-membered body and an individual member in that body that has a grace differing according to the proportion of faith that God's delivered to you and I. And your call's different than mine. But somehow the offering of your body, a living sacrifice, results in finding not only the good, not only the acceptable, but the absolute perfect will of God for your personal life. And when God began to open this chapter, my prayer to him was not that I was afraid as of what he meant by offering my body a living sacrifice. All I wanted to know from God was how to do it. It wasn't a question at that time whether I would do it or try to do it or not. But if my offering, my body, a living sacrifice resulted in finding the absolute perfect will of God for my life in the body of Christ, then it wasn't a question of whether I would do it or not. The question I had before God was, please tell me how. Well, it wasn't until that word, therefore, I beseech you, therefore, opened up to me that I understood how. That therefore means based on what he's already told us. In other words, in the chapters previous to this, he gave the information how to offer our bodies. So when I seen that word therefore, offer your body, I went back into the previous chapters to find out how to offer my body. I found out offering it the way the holiness people taught me didn't do any good. Through extreme discipline, I quit smoking and quit chewing and quit going with the girls that did and dressed the way they wanted and took the jewelry off. You know, got rid of the TVs, did everything they wanted me to do. 
because they told me that was offering myself a living sacrifice. But let me tell you something about works of the flesh. Once you begin that program of self-mortification, once you begin it through extreme discipline, there's nowhere to stop. Because just as soon as you put something else off, the devil will come along and condemn you about something else. And there's just no place to stop. Until finally you'll end up in a monastery somewhere, dressed in a spiked girdle with a hairy shirt, sleeping, setting up, and not able to speak to anybody because you took a vow of silence. You see, in holiness, you can deny your flesh all the way down the line until there's nothing left, and then you have to go a step further to asceticism or repentance. Now you're going to torture the flesh. Cut your fingers off. Crawl on your belly on glass. You know, <laughs> sleep setting up. Never talk to anybody again as long as you live. You know, it's all asceticism, which is, which is when self-denial is not enough, you have to go further and torture the flesh. So when you get into the work programs of flesh, there, there's just absolutely nowhere to stop. You can't make yourself good enough. I don't care what you deny yourself. You cannot make yourself good enough, so there's no place to stop. So if there was a way to offer my body a living sacrifice according to God's plan, I wanted to know how. So I dug it out in the previous chapters and found out that Romans 8 held the key when it says, it's through the Spirit that you mortify the deeds of the body. Then he went further and finally gave me the key. And by golly, if it wasn't the same key that Jude gave me. When it says, you don't have to be sense ruled. You can build yourself up above that mess by praying in the Holy Ghost. And Romans 8 says, likewise, the Spirit helps your infirmities. Your weakness is in the flesh because you don't know how to pray as you ought. He steps in. He makes intercession for you with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, this is all concerning the weaknesses and the mortification of the flesh. He says, because he that searches the heart, he knows what is the mind of the Spirit, the plan of God, and he can successfully make intercession for you according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit, by offering ourselves a living sacrifice, we offer ourselves to the Holy Spirit and he's the one that can turn us over to the death of the flesh to work two things. The revelation knowledge of his word within our spirit and second, to supernaturally work the plan of God on the inside of our hearts. And that, my friend, is true mortification. So he made a statement. He said he has delivered to every man the measure of faith. And I'd be the last one to call God a liar. If he said he has given you and you and you a measure of faith, he's given me one, then I possess a measure of faith. And of course, a measure is part of a whole. These measures he's talking about is all the different offices in the body of Christ. Each of them possesses their own measure. But all these measures working together makes one complete devil-stomping, mountain-moving body of Christ. Well, I only possess one of those measures. You only possess one of those measures. But yet he has instilled into every born-again man's spirit the measure of faith. And contained within that measure is enough faith to appropriate everything that the cross says that you are, to appropriate your healings, your blessings, Everything, your ministry, your call, all of it is contained within that one measure of faith. And for you to stand in God's presence and say, I do not have enough faith, and you're calling God a liar because he delivered you the measure to fulfill your ministry and to appropriate everything the cross has redeemed for you. So you say, I don't have enough faith. You're calling God a liar. Well, I would have went to Mexico last year if I'd had enough money. Did he tell you? to go and you're standing before Jesus I want to ask you one question Jesus was I supposed to go that year he said yes you was well then why didn't the money come in you know why didn't you give me the money he said I sent it but you didn't receive it well, well the money didn't come in are you saying that you didn't have enough faith I mean if he gave you the measure of faith that every one of us has the faith to fulfill our call and to appropriate everything the cross has for us but that measure 
comes in the form of a seed. And it's deposited on the inside of your spirit when you're born again, not of corruptible, but of an incorruptible seed, the Word of God. And your seed is different than my seed. Because like a corn seed will produce a corn stalk. A wheat seed will produce a wheat stalk. You know, a cantaloupe seed will produce a cantaloupe. But the diagramming and programming on the inside of my seed is different than the diagramming and programming on the inside of your seed. But yet each of us, when we begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, he said, if you believe on me as the scripture says, out of your belly, your innermost being, your spirit will flow rivers of living water. And guess what? You can't spend an hour praying in the Holy Ghost, can you, that you'll not throw water on that seed. And on the inside of the seed is the diagramming and programming for your entire life, for your entire ministry, for every branch, every facet, every harvest is inside of that seed. You can't come here on Wednesday night and pray hour after hour that that seed will not begin to germinate and the stock will come out, the limbs will start shooting, leaves will start collecting, and pretty soon your first harvest will come. That direction will be so set on the inside of your spirit, somebody will say, how do you know that that's your call? You said, look, friend, does a dog in Oklahoma have fleas? Can a fish swim? What do you think? I mean, when that incorruptible seed begins to sprout and produce, that not only does it have the understanding of faith, but it also has the diagramming and programming for your call and what is to unfold in your life. And once again, my friend, this comes forth in two phases. Number one, it's the transformation to his word. Be not conformed, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word transformation has a supernatural incantation meaning a transformer on a telephone pole. The voltage comes in at one degree and goes out at another. The Word of God will come into you at one velocity, at one voltage, and it'll transform your life and come out at another. So he's talking about something supernatural happening to you as you're transformed, not in conformity to the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove good, acceptable, perfect will. Transformation. So the Holy Ghost works in those two areas. Number one, the Word comes alive and transformation begins to take place. Number two, that he will plant his call in your life and that also will begin to unfold. So let's take a look at this a little bit closer. Because if he said transformation takes place from offering your body a living sacrifice, and praying in tongues is definitely one of the keys to offering my body, then let's take a look at exactly what happens when we stand before God and say, Father, now I am going to turn myself over to the Holy Spirit the next couple of hours for the sole purpose of offering my body a living sacrifice. So what exactly begins to take place? You know, what's happening to you when you're standing there or sitting there or laying there praying those two hours? I mean, what is really transpiring in the world of the Spirit? He says it's a process by which we offer our bodies a living sacrifice. But what's really taking place? In the Old Testament, a living sacrifice started out living and ended up dead. I mean, he gave himself all the way to death. So we do know this. He does not want us to die. He wants us a living sacrifice, but yet he wants us dead to the things of the world and alive unto God. 
Therefore, you can't pray two hours in the Holy Ghost. Well, why two hours? Because that's how long we pray on Wednesday night. In reality, you can't pray five minutes in the Holy Ghost that he will not attempt to turn a little bit of your life over as a living sacrifice so that you'll be more dead to the world and alive to God. You can't pray five minutes that he'll not turn you over a little, much less a bunch of you getting absolutely fanatical about it and spending hours and saying, well, Brother Roby, send them two hours on Wednesday night is my shortest prayer time. It may be that you can't spend hours a day, them two hours in here, that he will not somehow begin the mortification process that is to begin to turn you over as a living sacrifice that will result in transformation and the finding of his absolute perfect will for your life. You see, how in God's green earth does this take place? But we have an interesting note over in Isaiah 28. Go on over there for a moment. Look at the ninth verse. Isaiah 28 and 9. Whom shall we teach knowledge? I like this. Whom shall we teach knowledge? And whom to, shall we make understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from milk. <laughs> I like that. Them that are weaned from milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, upon precept, line upon line, upon line, here a little and there a little, for with stammering lips. And another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you shall cause the weary to rest. So he's asking you a question. Whom shall we teach knowledge? Whom will we teach doctrine? And he told you who. He said, Them that are weaned from the breast. He said, strong meat belongs to them who by reason of use, that is what, use of the strong meat, that is use of the strong meat of the word, have their senses exercised, or bring their systems or their imaginations or their senses under cadence to the word and puts them through an exercise. He says, strong meat belongs to those who by reason of use, that is use of the word, exercise their senses to discern both good and evil. So he says, who is this person that we're going to teach doctrine? Who is this person that's capable of receiving line upon line, here a little, there a little precept upon precept? He says, those that are drawn off of milk. For he says, the man that's on milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness or right standing, for he's a baby. To be quite frank with you, he doesn't know how to use the word. He may understand that healing is in the Word of God and it belongs to him and prosperity belongs to him. And he knows the Word says that it does. But he can't get the damnable disease off of his body because he's unskillful in the use of the Word of God. So he says, who does strong meat belong to? Those that are weaned from the breast. For line must be upon line, precept on precept. So he says, who are these? that can receive this kind of teaching. He says, these are who? The ones who through stammering lips and another tongue. He says, that supernatural manifestation and supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit, he says, in whom he causes the weary to rest. I know that praying in tongues, and I'm speaking mysteries up before the Father. And because I'm speaking these mysteries up before the Father, he can pull me aside and teach me line upon line upon line, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, and wean me off of milk and on to the strong meat, because now transformation is taking place through the power of the Holy Spirit instead of through men. Hallelujah. Comes alive. Well, did you notice he says this is the rest 
This is the refreshing. Hereby you may cause the weary to rest. Are you tired? <laughs> Are you weary? Do some of you need rest in your souls? Because you can't pray two hours in the Holy Ghost that you're not actively offering your body a living sacrifice. And that means there's some kind of death process involved. Well, it's impossible to grow in God without leaving the world behind. So when this line upon line and precept upon precept begins, this weaning from the breast begins, he said what will accompany that is this is the rest and this is the refreshing. Now, I don't know about some of you, but when I was born again, I entered into the kingdom of God, created after God in righteousness and true holiness. But my outer man had not yet conformed to the inner man. I entered into the kingdom with boatloads of problems. I mean, I started praying in the Holy Ghost, and he started purging me from things that was keeping me from rest. And it wasn't until two to three years ago that the final things in my life began to die and God did for me personally what I didn't dream possible and he ushered me into a peace. And I can still testify that if you was to ask me, outside of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what is the most powerful thing that you receive from the Lord Jesus Christ, I would have to say, that that incredible peace that he's entered me into, nothing has ever come into my life that's made me more unmanageable by the devil. Nothing. The devil comes and threatens with everything under the sun. I have so much peace in my spirit. It just absolutely makes you unmanageable by the devil. He said, this is the rest. This is the refreshing. Hereby he calls the weary to rest. That somehow, that was stammering lips in another tongue, that me praying in the Holy Ghost those hours, somehow is offering my body a living sacrifice and purging me from the things that was keeping me from rest. And notice when it first started to show up. I was praying long hours out on a riverbed, uh, Oak Ridge, Oregon. I was so bored praying that I'd kick all the green rocks. and I got so bored I'd just look for the green rocks on the riverbed and walk up and kick them. <laughs> then I started picking red leaves off the trees. I just kept praying hour after hour. In those days, I was inexperienced in it. But I think about six or seven months go by, and I start getting lost in a place in him. It was incredible. And, and a long-term effect of, of constant pressure on your mind will begin to affect it. In fact, doctors say about 75% of the ailments in your body are caused by pressures and worries and cares and torments and fears. Your body will go haywire. Your mind being submitted to pressure over a long term will start getting senile. How many of you have ever had a policeman stop you and ask you for your driver's license and say, what is your name? And you sit there and forget your name. One time I had a $700, $400 tax return check. Biggest amount of money I've ever seen in my life. And I went to the bank and I started to sign my name on the back and forgot my name. But I noticed some, something peaceful was uh, beginning to insert an influence on my mind. Just kept praying in the Holy Ghost. And, and, and one time I was watching TV, a religious program, and I was studying my Bible. And I was listening to a Copeland tape and retaining all of it at the same time. And, and I don't think that my mind started losing and forgetting again until they come out with NutraSweet. <laughs> started drinking NutraSweet, started losing my memory again. <laughs> anyway, isn't a very good commercial for Diet Coke, is it? 
the more I'd pray in the Holy Ghost, the more I would enter into that rest. And this is the refreshing. So a tremendous through praying the mysteries and offering our bodies a living sacrifice through the power of the Holy Spirit, then purging begins to take place. What did Jesus say? What did he say? He said, if you bear fruit, I will purge you so that you will bear more fruit. How many of you bearing fruit? How many of you is bearing fruit? One more time. Are you saved? How many of you is bearing fruit? I have some real good news for you. John 15, a real good news. He says, I'll purge you so that you'll bear more fruit. And then he went on to say, you are clean, or the purging process is through the word which I have spoken unto you. So this purging process, of course, takes place in transformation as the word comes alive in us. And you can't pray in the Holy Ghost and speak them mysteries that are contained within the Word. And when God starts answering your prayer in the Holy Ghost, that the Word of God does not start coming alive in you. And it starts the purging process. I prayed myself to a pretty good place of peace in those early days. I found myself sleeping in halls at times for the first few months of the ministry and in my car. And I spent so much time in prayer, I just didn't have time to worry about much. So I came to a certain place of peace, and it was wonderful. And because I prayed myself to a place of peace, I wanted everybody to have it. I didn't understand much about the Word, but I wanted everybody to have what I had. So when God started using me somewhat in miracles, people started being attracted to the minister. They said, Brother Robertson, yes. We'd like to have what you got, or we'd like to offer. And I'd say, I can tell you what I do. I play Kenneth Hagin tapes and Kenneth Copeland tapes, and then I spend the day praying in tongues and then just walk out there and pray for them, and things start happening. Is that what you do? Yeah. They said, how much do you spend in prayer? And I'd tell them, oh, sometimes an hour a day, sometimes six hours, sometimes all day, depending on what I was doing. And in those days, I, I had all the condemnation come on because I'd pray a week and then miss a week, and I'd feel condemned about the week I missed, you know. And can he use me this week because I missed a week? And, you know, I went through all of that. <laughs> but they'd ask me, what are you doing? So I said, ah, praying in the Holy Ghost and, and listening to Hagen tapes. So the first thing I'd do is bootleg them a bunch of Hagen tapes, and then I'd tell them, pray in the Holy Ghost. Just pray in the Holy Ghost. I don't know what to tell you. And so the next two or three, four years, five years around Oregon, I had a whole bunch of people just praying in the Holy Ghost. And the strangest things would take place. You know, I thought that every one of them I launched into prayer would walk out like a spiritual giant working miracles. But do you know less did that than didn't? In fact, if I would get ten people turned on, now that were called to the ministry, I'm not talking about sheep. If we'd get 10 people turned on to prayer, just 10, uh, three of them may continue with it. And seven of them would fall out and choose some other avenue to try to grow in God. Only the way they fell out is what I couldn't understand. Because we'd all be gung-ho and they'd be standing up testifying, but I tell you this now, man, I never seen anything like it. I make a great big testimony one day. We're all shouting about it. And all of a sudden they just completely disappear. Totally out of sight. And the next thing I hear, they're still preaching all right. But what they're preaching on is how fanatic I was over praying in tongues. And some of them even started preaching, well, I tell you what, I did what Roberson said, and you think my anointing got better? It started getting worse. And I prayed in those tongues, and I can tell you this much, you can pray too much 
in those basics of praying in tongues. You can pray too much because my anointing got less and it really messed me up. And they were right. Their anointing did get less and they turned on me. And I couldn't for years. It hurt my feelings so bad. You know, one of my associates broke away and some people give us some land and before he would go, he made me give all the land back. Or he says, I'll cause this problem with the baby sheep and all this. And then the hatred and strife and all the fights. And, and then there'd come the preaching about praying too much in tongues. And you'll get weird. And now, to tell you the truth, I didn't understand why they were dropping out of prayer and getting weird. I knew I had some pretty rough times, but I stuck it out because the Word says, if you build yourself up on your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Ghost, then by golly, you build yourself up. That's all there is. I don't care what my emotions say. If the Word says it, then I choose to believe what the Word says. But I didn't understand why they were getting so weird. And now I don't have much patience for that kind of thing. I was with Rick Renner, and this man came up to the tape table and says, I want to be a mighty intercessor, but I know this lady prayed too much in tongues. She got weird. He says, what do I do to keep from getting weird? I couldn't take it anymore. I didn't even wait on Rick. I just stepped up between him and him, right between them, and said, look, friend, if you get weird, it's because you already had a capacity to be weird. Made me mad. Because when we, uh, when we turn ourselves over as a living sacrifice, including this key of prayer, what makes you think? What makes you think? That everything that God wants to purge out of you is things that you want to get rid of. Huh? What makes you think that everything God wants to purge out of you, you want to get rid of? Most of us want God's great anointing. We want our pie. But we want to eat it too. Meaning, God, you leave me alone. You just give me your glory to bring more glory to what I'm doing. You want to purge me? I'll tell you what you can purge. But these areas I want you to absolutely leave alone. And I'm sorry, my friend. In this process of offering yourself a living sacrifice, that you're turning yourself over to the Holy Spirit, and he's not conforming you to the world, but transformation's taking place to find the good, acceptable, perfect will of God for your personal life. And the Holy Ghost is going to attempt to purge everything out of you as he turns you over, not only the things you want to get rid of, but he wants to purge you from the things that you do not want to get rid of. So this is what begins to happen in the basics of prayer. He said the word was sown, the wayside ground, stony ground, shallow ground, good ground. And he says in this wayside ground that Satan just came along and immediately took it away. But he said, stony ground, it, it took root for a little while, but instead of the roots going down, they went outward because they hit stones. So the stock shot up, and when the first little wind come along, the persecutions and afflictions, it blew it over because it was stony ground. The seed was sown among stones, but I want you to know that the stones was already resident there when the seed was sown. And the thorns were already resident in the ground when the seed was sown into the thorny ground. And the cares of this life and deceitfulness of riches and lusts of other things sprang up and choked the word of God out. But the thorn seeds was already resident when the word landed. Then he talked about good ground. He said, these are they which are sown on good grounds that brought forth 30, 60, and 100 
full. Then he says, is the word given to you not to understand? Is a candle lit to be hid under a table? He said, there's nothing hid which shall not be made manifest. Anything kept secret that will not come abroad. In other words, he was at typing ground by saying, this is the way this ground is predestined to be. It is stony, so it'll never have a harvest. It is thorny, it'll never have a harvest. Only good ground will have a harvest. He wasn't typing the ground saying it doesn't have a chance. What he was saying is what made this good ground is because the word was sown, but it was sown as a light in darkness, and it was meant to illuminate everything that was hid in darkness so you could purge it out of your life and produce 30, 60 to 100 fold. But not everything the Holy Spirit wants to purge do we want to get rid of. This is where difficult time comes in prayer. And this is still basics. Because the first things he purges you from is that progression. He says persecutions, afflictions entered in. And then the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches and finally the lust of other things. And the first things he purges us from is the gospel being removed from us by common persecutions and afflictions. If the people on your job treat you ugly, it doesn't bother you anymore. Every kind of affliction comes, there's torments and lacks and people persecute you. That doesn't bother you much because you've decided to put your feet on a rock and come hell or high water. That stuff is not going to make you backslide anymore. Well, the first thing that praying in the Holy Ghost will do to a person is starts edifying them and making them strong enough where they're excited enough to serve God. And it doesn't matter how much persecution and affliction the devils bring. It just doesn't matter. But the next step, he starts working on purging you from us, that slow choking process of monotony, of the cares of this world. And hour after hour, you enter into the work. Now, God, they need laborers in the church, and it's vacuuming, and it's working. And the glory, I'm used to seeing miracles, I'm used to seeing healings, and I'm used to seeing services, and I've heard a thousand messages preached, and it's just time to settle down. And the cares of this life are perched on me, and the thorn seeds are growing, and the Word isn't as exciting as it used to to be, but you start praying in the Holy Ghost and it'll purge you past just the common cares of this world taking you. You'll remain excited because you light your own furnace. You don't care if the whole church backslides. You're going to be up vacuuming the church and working and praying because the cares of this life will not choke your ministry and your call and the word out of your life. Just won't do it. See, at the next progression is deceitfulness of riches <laughs> and then the lust for other things. Now, as long as money has you, then you're deceived by it. Somebody says, I don't really have to worry about that. Why, you little flesh creature? Because <laughs> I don't have any. <laughs> More men were destroyed chasing it than that have it. <laughs> I don't have to worry about because I don't have any. Well, you'd better get purged from not having any. You see, why does he do this? God dealt to every man severally according to his ability. When he gave you your measure, he didn't give you anything that he didn't call you to do. And if he called you to win Mexico for God, then he gave you the faith to win it. If you go home and stand before God, your complaint is, I couldn't do it because I didn't have any money. He'd say, look, you've been deceived. Because contained within your measure was all the money you ever needed to believe in. So you've been deceived. You see, the problem is, as long as there's a thorn seed existing on the inside of you that'll rise up and choke the Word of God, then as long as money can own you, then you can't get the money from God. Well, I really want to. doesn't matter. You can't. And if money owns you and you come in and everybody's excited about prayer, well, what you want to do is you want to pray and you want to be owned by money. You want to be a tightwad, but you want the glory of God to fall on you and use you like crazy anyway. But when the Holy Ghost performs transformation, he demands every area of your life. 
So people that fall away, this is what begins to happen. Oh, they get excited when they're purged past persecutions and afflictions and the cares of this life taking them out. That's all exciting, you know. Glory to God, I got past all of that. But then, after two or three, four, five, six months, a year, two years of praying in tongues, I don't know. It depends on how deep-seeded and how many thorn seeds are sown in your life that you start praying in the Holy Ghost. You'll start illuminating. Transformation starts taking place, not conformity to the world, but transformation by the renewing of your mind that pretty soon the Holy Ghost will begin to rise up on the inside of you and start exerting an influence on your mind, saying, Who owns you? Are you mine? Would you please give me the key to that door that you have never allowed me in? Please. And you go, No, I'm, I'm not going to give you that key. But I do want to continue to pray. And so every day that you continue to pray, every day he approaches your spirit and he says, would you please give me the key to that inner sanctuary, the door? Is everything you have mine? Is your security in me? Would you please give me the key? And you start getting annoyed. It doesn't come to you in the form of a voice. But emotions emotions and fear from not having that wealth and everything that you want and that hold it emotional fear it'll declare war against your anesthetic mind and the more you pray the more emotional you'll get because you cannot continue in prayer that he'll not continue to confront you and say what do you do about that money until pretty soon you go in to pray and you're pretty up when you go in to pray but you pray instead of feeling more anointed you feel more down you go you don't feel that all anointing and tipsy and running around. Why do you feel that, George? But instead, you say, well, I thought this was supposed to edify you. And I come to church and pray and I leave feeling worse. Why? Because something in you is declaring war against your anesthetic mind is not wanting to turn loose and the Holy Spirit's demanding that you turn loose. So all of a sudden, these preachers start getting mad. Now, this prayer stuff doesn't work. No, no, no. It works great. That you can't pray in tongues without experiencing a transformation as a living sacrifice and not everything that he wants to purge that we want purged off of us. <laughs> so why do we go into prayer? We go in and we're up. That's not that man. About four or five months later, you say, every time I go to prayer, it depresses me. <laughs> the lust of other things is a dilly. Self-exaltation, those are dillies. Complacency, indifference, those are dillies. It's easy to get purged from persecution and afflictions to where I've made my mind up, by God, I'm going to go to church and stay saved with all my relatives like it or not. I just really don't care. That realm is rather easy to make in God. But boy, those self-exaltation realms, you know, that our gift becomes a servant to the kingdom instead of a vocation. Well, I can't preach at your church because you have nothing that will exalt my ministry. So I can't come. I can only minister at places where it benefits my call and builds my ministry, yes, instead of the kingdom. So, boy, when he starts picking on self-exaltation, you say, Holy Ghost, why can't you just pray through me and leave me alone? All of a sudden, uncontrolled anger starts taking. Here, you pray for six months, and you think, I'm supposed to be more edified. And how do you feel instead? Like, well, I come to church and pray, and I feel less edified all the time. And get on, on the edge, because you just don't want to turn loose of it. Somebody sitting in your chair when you come in, go, well, I could win the whole city through prayer. For one problem, you won't get out of my chair. Please get out of my exalted chair. You know, I always pray in that chair. Please get out of my chair. 
So you think, I don't understand it. I've been praying a year, and, and I'm more emotional mess than I was before I began to pray. That's because you were more carnal about the things that were wrong with you. But boy, when that purging process begins, you know, it's really something. And some of the strongest things that's been purged out of me these last three years was the intimidation and that kind of fear of men. And, uh, and it was blocking me and from walking in this higher, how should I say, at least a degree of peace that I never walked in before. And that's why I can confidently say as he's working his plan in my life, I've learned what the purging process is about. And when I hit one of those things, it's not time to run. It's time to run into the closet. Shouldn't you take the hint that your family was the same before you started praying as after you started praying, but you sent six months in prayer and you walk home and look your family over and decide they're a bunch of unrighteous outfits and they can't appreciate such a righteous fellow as yourself. So what happens? All of a sudden, they're all doing things when you're yelling at them. Well, they haven't changed. I mean, take a hint. It's not something wrong with them. It was something wrong with you. <laughs> so this one thing I have found out now, after years, that the worse I feel about praying, the more I'm accomplishing by doing it. And when my emotions are fighting me so hard and something inside of me is not wanting to die and I don't want to go to prayer and I don't want anybody to even talk to me about prayer because not only do I not want to go to prayer, I don't want to want to go to prayer. You got that? So don't talk to me about it. I don't want to even want to go to prayer, so I'm going to quit. And you go over and say, why'd you fall out of prayer? Well, because I'd come, I wasn't getting through. There was no anointing. And I jumped. My, my emotions have gone crazy. I don't know. I just don't feel like praying. I don't want to, and I don't want to want to. And I have found out that at that stage, when the Holy Spirit is able to pull those character flaws out in front of you and your personal life it's for personal examination it's so that you can know that when they're fighting you so hard emotionally that's not the time to fall out of prayer because even though you don't feel like you're producing anything i'm asking and your words are falling on the floor and you need a spatula to throw them up to heaven you are actually producing more than when you're free-flowing isn't this wonderful Hallelujah! all that does is builds you spiritually and edifies you up to a place to where he can pull what's wrong with you out so that he can put it to death and that final death throw is that emotional war you have at the end of a season of prayer. That's not the time to quit. That's time to jump in and say, well, I'm not moved by what I see, hear, or feel. I'm only moved by what I believe. And if this is causing my death to transform to the good, acceptable, and perfect will, then let's get on with it. And at that time, when you stay in, my friend, you'll come out the other side of it eventually, and he will bring you into a degree in God that you have never walked before because something that had you bound has been put to death, and the rest of your life will be different than it was. Hallelujah. <laughs> now. <laughs> now. Charlie comes. You know, I've known him for years. He'd go to my revivals. So we start the center so he moves out to Tulsa. God sent me to Tulsa. What for, Charlie? To attend the prayer center. And then he was elated when it started as a church. Because he says, yes, now I understand why God sent me. So Charlie's indoctrinated to prayer. You know, he starts, you know, and he starts coming to prayer. And he makes the regular prayer sessions. Two or three times a week in the other building and once a week here. And he also the mudaka. Transformation's taking place. Spirit's offering as a living sacrifice. Little things are dying. He's always had a lot of zeal. But not quite enough zeal to put those final things to death. And he knows in his heart are not right. 
Now, there's no use us naming them, because most Christians do them. Right, Charlie? <laughs> so Charlie gets to pray, the more aboshaka. So what's the Holy Ghost do? Through an emotional language, he starts communicating with Charlie by pulling his lifestyle out for examination. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie, no, Charlie. He starts counting the cost. You know, this emotional war starts taking place. Charlie, us, hospital. So pretty soon, he crosses over the line and he decides. He comes storming into my office. Well, God has called me to go over to this other church. What this is on my foot. <laughs> Changing your circumstances does not purge you from your problem. I mean, just because you go somewhere where you can spend a year and they don't say anything that will convict you very much, they accept your lifestyle like it is. <laughs> oh, Charlie, good standing. Just this one problem. God's never going to use him, really. That's the problem. So he comes barnstorming. Well, God told me. We're making these big speeches, and I just threw my Bible down on the table. I said, Charlie, you've hit it. You're at critical mass. You're at meltdown point. For God's sake, don't stop now. And boy, he just tears back and forth, you know, and he's straining and fighting, and all of a sudden he says, I'm going to do it. And right at critical mass, instead of going the other way and falling out of prayer, he runs into the church and he's still doing it. He works all night, so now he spends the whole morning in prayer. So he comes down and spends the morning in prayer, and boy, one time he comes into the office, and I have to listen to him. I've heard it before. You know, when I have to go, yeah, Charlie, go, he said, God, go get him. He says, and let me tell you what I used to do. I used to do this, and I used to do that, and I used to do this, and I really didn't want to get rid of it, and I knew I had to, and he reached the place when the Holy Ghost declared war on it, and he either else quits praying or purges it, because you cannot do both, can you? So he hit what I call critical mass. I'm having a, you having a good time? I, I could pick on a few more of you. I would pick on a whole lot more of you, but at critical mass, they, they run off somewhere where they quit putting pressure on them. Did you notice that? How many knows we lost anybody? There's more to this than just praying. Not for you, there isn't. There will be. And what do you want to go from place to place and have an old mediocre life for? Well, I'm special before God. I'm sure you are. So why do you want to go on with ceilings on your life when you could pass through your generation and make a difference? You don't have to pass this way. No one ever know you was alive. You don't have to. God wants to purge those things that are keeping you from fulfilling his absolute perfect will. And he will if you will offer your body a living sacrifice on the altar that God has prepared for it. And that is only offered by the Holy Spirit as he transforms you to the word. He. He. Sola caraccia. And he will do it, my friend. He. You don't have to pass this way and never make a difference. Now, this is still basics of prayer. Because I'll tell you one story, and I think I'll quit. Glory. For seven years, I've been in and out of the Holy Ghost praying. I hit those critical mass times. And sometimes they'd take me out of prayer for a long time, and then I'd go back in. And then I'd come up to that place again, and I'd get out of it again, and then I'd get in again. And finally, I made it to phase two. And God introduced me to phase two after a, a time of fasting. It, most incredible thing. I'll never forget it. Walking into the service and my banker falling down. Couldn't move for 20 minutes. The next night or two, I tried to reach the line, pray for them. They started falling over. 
And one time when I was just generally praying over the crowd, people in the crowd started falling down. And so I said, God, you've done something, Dave. You've entered into another phase. Well, I went ministering for about a year or two, and in this phase I started being asked for camp meetings. And I got to speak with men. I'd have paid hundreds of dollars just to hold their old sweaty coats in the back room. It's a wonderful phase, you know. And so it was one. So I got caught up in it and had the time of my life. And then a couple of two or three years into it, I've been in it eight years now, it, something entered into my life and attached a hold of me, and I didn't know what it was. And evidently there was something in my life that it could attach itself to, and that was intimidation and fears and some of the torments and unsurety. I just hadn't been able to reach it. So I used to get those who's who in the back rooms and uh, I'd fish until they'd compliment me because of my insecurity, you know. Some people say I still do it. If I do, it's just strictly habit. It's not because I care anymore. <laughs> anyway, something entered my life and you say, what did it feel like? Well, it was some kind of subtle pressure. I, I'm trying to put my finger on it. A, a subtle pressure that... Uh, that just in, it, it increased, it seemed, year after year, and, and got stronger and stronger. And the only way I could get any relief from this pressure, because it was pressuring me in a certain direction, was to uh, not even act like I was going to pray. If I would give up the prayer, then I'd be at a lot, lot less under a pressure situation. And so then the pressure kept pressuring me where it wanted me to watch television all day long. So the pressure wouldn't be there if I'd bury myself in the TV. The pressure wouldn't be there then if I, uh, if I didn't pray. And the pressure wouldn't be there if I didn't get into the Word and meditate it. But those times that I would shake myself and fire myself up and begin to pray, that would wear me back down and I'd quit again. And so this just increased, and at the same time it was increasing, it was pressuring me to do more and more wrong. Every area. And so here I was trying to stand up under this, and at the same time a voice came to me and started preaching grace. I'm talking ultimate grace, saying, go on. Go on, you can do that. After all, isn't God still using you? Yes, he still used me. Every time I walked out in the camp meeting, the power of God would fall. He would use me. Then that voice would preach to me. It's okay. It's all by grace, not by works. Was any man should boast. If you get into works and stuff, after all, all that praying and stuff, that's just works. You know, you're trying to take away from the Spirit. And it would preach to me until I would feel after it got done to do worse and worse and worse. And after all, the pressure was off of me. So whatever this thing was, it came and attached to a thorn seed. And until I killed the thorns, I just couldn't seem to get rid of it. I'd run it off for a while, and then it would wear me down again till I'd lay down in a motel and give up. Yeah. Got a good ministry. Yeah. <laughs> so many of my friends that I ministered with at that time, I could name you a list of them. They were camp meeting speakers. I know the same thing came to them. Yeah, how do you know? Because I know it was pressuring me to go in the same direction that many of them went. But I watched many of my friends being destroyed. And this pressure was increasing on me. And it wasn't until I was up at the Mile High Conference preaching for Marilyn and Wally Hickey. And God was so gracious for me. I'd been going every year and there's a death section. And I was looking at the death section. All of a sudden I woke up and I said, I can't take this anymore. I cannot take it. So when many of my friends went the way of that pressure, that shocked me so bad that instead of going with the pressure anymore, I entered into fastings and praying, and probably more fastings and praying at that time, but the increase of praying and more fastings until the thorn seed, which was intimidations and fears and worries, began to disroot. And more I continued in it, that finally enough of it was put to death after one of the seeking times I came out 
with the peace of God. And he said, this is what you have been looking for, son. This will make you more unmanageable by the devil than anything that has ever come. And now, because of that deep-seated peace, he has abetted on the inside of my spirit. Yes, there is a realm where revival lives. Tremendous outpouring of the spirit. For the devil's enraged with it. He hates the guts of anyone that's pressing for that realm. He hates the guts of anyone who reports for constant prayer and hammers at it until they hit those places and put them behind them and press on into God and get rid of complacency and, and crucify the flesh and keep pushing on into God until God crucifies the stones and the thorns and keeps lifting you higher and higher until he brings us to a place where he can pour his Holy Ghost out on us in the way that he wants to. And I can assure you that this peace, this peace tells me that there is a realm of revival. My God. My God. There's a, a realm of revival for uh, the hundred wheelchairs, people in, 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 in church on Sunday. hundred of them. And a, and a thousand mamas that has brought their deaf and dumb kids in. You say, well, why aren't they all lining up in the big camp meetings we're having now on an international set? They're not lining up because Nothing happened the last year they had one. The thousand mamas. And some of the most powerful meetings we have in the land is in Tulsa. You know, there's a thousand mamas with their deaf and dumb kids. Let me tell you what the devil's camping on. He loves to pick on your flesh and to irritate you and keep you out of prayer and get you mad at each other over a little strife, carpet, second-rate expendable devils. So you pray a little while and you get mad at each other because of where you're sitting. It's not the person next to you that's got the problem, it's you. You're in a critical mass. The devil likes to keep us at a low level operation of fighting and strifing and out of prayer. And, and if you pressure me too much, Roberson, I'll go somewhere where they require nothing of me. Nothing. That's what I did. I ran somewhere where they would assure me I was okay without doing it. But I'm at peace now. Totally. So let me tell you about that realm. It's a realm of revival. Encamped on that perimeter of revival is principalities and powers because they know that if 50 people, 100 of them, jump out of the wheelchair, that then they're going to have to deal with every relative of those people. They know that they're going to have to deal with hundreds of thousands of people who are affected because a thousand deaf and dumb muted kids walked out of the meeting talking. See, it's not because they hate the people so much that they're going to block the healing. They're blocking the healing because they can't afford the revival. So what do we do? We sit here year after year in complacency. We have a good worship, good songs. We encourage each other, and we go home. We face the devil. But we're not conquerors. And a lot of times we're so self-centered we never get past the idea of my life receiving from God. That's good. But how about a living sacrifice? You're young. I think everybody in this room is young according to when Jesus is going to come back. We may all have about the same amount of time that you do not have to pass through this generation and not make a difference. My name's Mary Wallpaper. Nobody pays any attention to me. 
Nobody paid any attention to Anna either. But she prayed and she prayed and the priest didn't even know who he was. She said, my eyes have beheld the promise. God, what an honor bestowed on that woman. You say you marry wallpaper and your life can't make a difference? Oh, yes. It can. Hallelujah. Are we having revival? Are we? These are they sown on good ground, such as hear the word. Bring forth thirty, sixty, a hundred. Is the candle lit? Is the word given to be hid under a bushel? No. The candlestick. So when you walk in the room, every obstacle hid in darkness is revealed in the light. That's what the word's given to you for. To reveal every obstacle in your room that is keeping you from producing a hundredfold. Well, we're going to continue Sunday. Basics of prayer. Bring my pulpit back up. Holy Ghost is changing the anointing.